Okay, good morning. It's good to see everyone. The Pasuk says... The Pasuk says in connection with the donations um, that were collected for the Melech HaMishkan, Vayavoyu HaAnoshim Al HaNoshim that the uh, women donated their jewelry to the uh, collection that was made for the Malachis HaMishkan. So the Rishayim asked, how was it that the women are permitted to donate their jewelry to give items without the permission of their husband? After all, um, traditionally, the property in the marriage is controlled by the husband. So the Svarno explains that that's exactly why the Pesach says, that the men came together with the woman in order to imply consent, that they approved of this donation that was being made from their estate. That's what the Svarno writes over here. In order to approve of the donation that was made to the because the, the uh, general rule is, if a woman uh, would like to make a donation to Tzedakah, the Gemara says in you can only accept from her a small donation, a Dover Muat, but not a Dover Maruba, not an expensive gift. The Gemara says, So they made a donation to his Tzedakah, and he uh, accepted it from them. So that they asked him from a bride of Atanya, Gabai Stokum, a Kabu Mehand of Ramuat of a Lod of Maruba, and it must be the Ravina, when he came to Bnei Machuza, Bnei Machuza, he accepted a large donation. He accepted a big gift. And we learned in a bride, so you're only permitted to accept a small gift from uh, a wife, one is not permitted to accept a large gift. Um, and the Gemara explains that in Bnei Machuza, this was a small gift. So everything was relative to the, uh, you know, to, the, to the society and the culture and the economic reality of each place uh, and each time. But when we're dealing with a relatively small gift, it's permitted to accept it from a woman without uh, the presence of her husband. But if it's a Dover Merubah, then it is not permitted. And the, the, uh, the reason why a Dover Muat is permitted is because the assumption is her husband doesn't mind if she donates a Dover Muat Litzdaka and he gives her permission to do so from his estate. If it's a Dover Merubah, if it's a big gift, then the assumption is that the husband uh, does not intend to allow her to have you know, that kind of discretion with regards to the funds, the assets of the marriage, and uh, he would have to be there, as we find with regards to the donation of the Mishkan, they came together with them, because this was a large gift, so they had to come together with them in order to imply consent, so, because uh, it was a large gift. If it's a smaller gift, the assumption is that uh, the husband would, be, uh, would, would, would allow her to make these kinds of small donations, but you see from this Gemara, everything depends on the place and time, and what's considered to be a large donation, what's considered to be a small donation. The Shulchan Aruch quotes this halacha, but then quotes an, an additional detail from the Chuvas Harosh. Over here at the end of Simon Reish Memchez Siv Dawin, the Shulchan Aruch says at the end of the second line, Avau, this is only you know, the general assumption that a wife can make a small donation, not a large donation, because the husband would, wouldn't mind if she made a small donation, a large donation, you know, he might be mocked. Let's say she makes a donation, the husband specifically protests after she made the donation. I feel cultural, even if it's a small amount, also the Kabul Mayhem. Uh, she's not, uh, you're not allowed to accept the donation uh, from the wife because it's obvious that the husband uh, was Meicha. So, but let's say a woman comes and presents a, uh, you know, a large gift, and she says, my husband doesn't mind. So in the Pesach Tshuva, quotes here from the Neid of Yehuda, over here, Oiz Gimel, right on that Sif and Shulchan Arach, that if she says, my husband doesn't mind, we can even accept a large gift, and she's typically believed to say, my husband doesn't mind. If the husband later on protests, so then, okay, if the husband later on protests, so then it's obvious that that wasn't the case, 
but um, but she, uh, she she she's believed to say that you know that that's what the husband had in mind. And Rabbi Huda adds another fascinating point that let's say she knows the husband is not giving the proper amounts of tzedakah. A lot of times the wife is more religious than the husband. He's not giving miser, or maybe he could be giving chaymish, which is perhaps even a more ideal amount. And he's not giving uh, he's giving shlishah shekel lishana. If that, so the the wife is upset. Why is he giving so little tzedakah? So says the night of Yehuda over here. First of all, who made her the mashgiach of the husband? Who who? And then, a relevant statement for our times, who made her the mashgiach? And even then, she has no right to collect tzedakah without his permission. Even Bezdin doesn't have the right to forcibly collect tzedakah. And so, so to the, wife, the wife doesn't have the right to forcibly collect tzedakah. But, um, uh, the, she, if it's a matana maruba, a matana muetes, she is, um, you know, then, then the, the, the tzedakah, we assume the husband would allow it. If it's a matana maruba, unless she states explicitly, my husband doesn't mind, we, we typically require the presence of the husband. This gets uh, complicated with regards to Purim, of course, right? Um, Purim, uh, everyone is obligated, matana slavyanim, women are included in all of the mitzvahs, I say, of Purim, and mikra megillah, kazafi, and hoi, boisanes. So it says over here in the Ramah, um, uh, so does she have to separate, you know, her own? Should she give her own matanas levyonim, her own mishloach manus? So Mr. Brewer quotes from the Magen Avram that perhaps this statement of the Ramah is only referring to a woman who's not married. Um, so then she should be doing it on her own. If she's married, so says the Magen Avram, they typically are yoytze with the husband. He says he never saw people being mocked about this. Lower isin is harim bazev efshad afkabal mona. Her husband gives to a number of individuals, some having her in mind, perhaps some having himself in mind, but then the mission of Bura adds in the name of the Magan Avram, We should be machmir. What does being machmir mean? Should she be giving her own? So they quote the name of Yashiv that the husband should give her matanas levyonim, she should distribute her own matanas levyonim, maybe she should give her own mishleach, usually the wife is the one who's a little bit more involved in mishleach manas typically. So, exceptions to every rule, but usually the wife is a little bit more involved in the Mishleach Manus, the husband, the Matanas of Yainim. So she has him in mind when she's giving the Mishleach Manus, he has her in mind when she's giving the Matanas of Yainim, but Rabbi Yashif felt maybe it's Kedai to be Machmir, to everyone to do it on their own, but they quote in the name of Shlomo Zalman that that's not necessary. Rather, they should have each other in mind when she's giving Mishleach Manus, she should have him in mind, or whoever is giving the Mishleach Manus in the family, and whoever is giving the Matanas of Yainim should have their spouse in mind when they're giving Matanas of Yainim. They don't actually have to go on their own and, and do it on their own, but it's an interesting thing to have in mind. We typically don't even think about it, um, but, uh, but it's just something to have in mind that every, everyone has to fulfill Matanas of Yainim, Mishleach Manus. But getting back, a woman can give a Matanas Muetes, Matanas of Yainim, Matanas Muetes, Matanas um, Muruba, typically not, because we assume the husband isn't, uh, wouldn't consent to such a thing. The uh, the Pisgah Chu at the end over here, Vaisgimel quotes from the Chuvah's base Yaakov. This is only for tzedakah. The husband is uh, Michael. The husband allows her to make these kind of expenditures. If it would be for something else that's not for tzedakah, maybe the husband is mocked even in a davar muad. The davka b'tzedakah loichemi hen davar muad at the end over here, Vaisgimel lafisha ein derech habala hakber davar muad lidvar mitzvah. It's not careful to be mocked about a dvar mitzvah. Kishay ain't a dvar mitzvah, fiul dvar muat also. If it's not a dvar mitzvah, even a small amount would be prohibited for her to spend. So is that really the case? Meaning a wife can't spend any money without the husband? If it's a, if it's a stucca, davar muat, okay, then the husband is, uh, you know, allows him to make these kind of expenditures without his presence or foreknowledge. Davar muruba, no, he has to be there. And that's why the Svarno says the husbands have to come together with the wives to make the donations to the Mishkan, which is a big amount. They have to come to do it together. Otherwise, she's not allowed to spend this money. And the Beis Yaakov says, 
Shogun, this is only for tzedakah. If it's for another expenditure of the house, she wouldn't be allowed to spend it. So the truth of the matter is, look back at the Yam Shushleima over here, he quotes from the Ra'avan, who cited by the Mordechai, Ra'avan, Kasa B'Sefer, Tzofnas Paneach, Sha'inna, from the Rishayim, Sha'inna, Nashim Apitropis, Apitropsim Shabalayim. The women typically are involved in making all of the purchases for daily life. Maybe not, you know, managing the portfolio, but certainly uh, making, you know, taking care of the household expenses. And therefore, she's involved in writing checks and spending money and using the credit card all the time. So like may hen cold over. So then you're allowed to take uh, even a large expenditure um, or a large donation from the wife with Stucker because she's involved in spending money all the time. She's the one who's uh, the Menahelis. She's the one who's in charge of all of the finances of the day-to-day of the house. So says the Ravan, today you have the right, to, if the woman is the one who's in charge of the household expenses, you have the right to take from her even a Dover Meruba. But then he writes, Everything depends on the arrangement between the husband and the wife. Because sometimes, their whole back and forth with the money is only with regards to household expenditures. He understands on the credit card there's going to be this or that, for maybe for things that she needs for the household, but to start making large donations to yeshivas and maestas, that he didn't have in mind. He doesn't expect to see on the uh, credit card. It isn't that understanding that she has the right to spend this unilaterally, uh, you know, make a large donation to Tzedakah. The husband doesn't um, empower her to make these kinds of donations. Only for things that are necessary for the house. Or if you limkar she wants to do this or that, whatever little things here on the side of Davamuat when it becomes a Dava Maruba and it's not for the house, then he might be a, you know have a, a slightly different attitude. But then he has another important point. If she's only involved in the house with expenses, she wouldn't need her husband's permission. Of course, all the women are Nishaychail, but what he means here over here is she is Mechayez Baila. She contributes in terms of working. Uh, and the economic, uh, you know, picture of the marriage. She herself is bringing in parnasa. Then, of course, her husband gives her permission to spend money, because if he doesn't, she's going to stop working. If he's going to uh, protest when she makes these kind of expenditures, she's going to stop bringing in money to the, to the marriage. So, everything depends on the arrangement of the marriage and what the financial picture is for the marriage and what their understanding is between them, whether or not she can make these kind of exp- you know, uh, expenditures without his permission or without, without his presence. If she's bringing in money, that changes everything. If she already is writing checks for other things, and he doesn't mind, you know, this amount or that amount. So then everything you know, could could be uh, could be different. It's interesting. The Ramah discusses this. If a wife builds up chayvus, she has credit card bills, and then they come to collect from the husbands. So the Ramah says over here, the husband does not have to pay her bills. And he quotes here from the Marik, not like the Yeshchokim. Who's the Yeshchokim? The Ravan, that the Yam Shoshlem, that the Marshal just quoted. So the Marik disagrees, and he says, no, even if she does have the right to build up other expenses, you cannot go back to the husband to collect the credit card bills that she racks up. The Shach, though, quotes over here, the Shach does not side with the Marik. The Marik says he can't go to the husband to collect the wife's bills because she doesn't have the right to spend his money. 
Right, if she has the right to spend this money, it goes both ways. If she's partner, you know, over here and spending the money, then if she builds up chayvus, they could come to collect from the estate. If she doesn't have the right to spend the money from the estate, she kind of gets a certain amount of leeway, but she doesn't have control of the whole estate. Then you can't go to her when she builds up bills to collect from the estate because she's not a party to that estate. So the shach over here quotes uh, that he believes that we don't pass like the marik. He thinks the whole thing is wrong. That's only stam notion, but if. She is involved in the Menahelis Habayah. She is involved in the finances of the marriage. Certainly, if she's bringing in Parnassah that changes the, the, the calculations, the understanding between them, then he would not be Machbid. If he's not Machbid, you can collect the bills from the husband. So the Shach Paskins like the Ravan, that you can collect. The husband would be obligated on the hook to pay her bills. But then the Shach adds an important point, which we're not going to get into today. That's only in Pasha Bipikadon or No, over here. Miu this is only if she builds up loans or pikadon, or she takes, uh, she, she's watching items that then get lost. But it has to be something that contributes to the estate. If she causes damages that have nothing to do with the estate, then you can't necessarily go to the estate to collect. It's Gamar Babakama about paying the damages of wife causes, which we're not going to get into today. But we pass like this, Ravan. Since she's allowed to engage in the estate, so you can go to collect her chayvahs and he, he has to pay. She can spend money kind of a little bit more liberally, but by the same token, you go back and collect if she builds up chayvahs. Yeah? woman is he may, uh, provide me. Well, get, oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. So raises the Yerach another issue over here. He says over here, Oizvav, this whole picture we've created with regards to Staka, Matan Muetes, yes, Matan Maruba, no, you need the permission of the husband. Maybe nowadays that she has a checkbook and the credit card might be a little bit different. Certainly, if she brings in some Parnasa, maybe if the woman is a significant breadwinner. We don't apply the typical rule that the husband is in charge of the finances in the first place. Now, of course, this goes back to the Gemara and Ksubis. The Gemara says that when a marriage is conducted or begins, there's a certain uh, trade-off, a reciprocity in terms of responsibilities that the wife has to the marriage, responsibilities that the husband has to the marriage, I guess rights and privileges as well, that are in lieu of those responsibilities, and there's this kind of trade-off. Not transactional, a marriage is not a transaction, but there are aspects that are similar to that kind of relationship. So one of the uh, trade-offs that you have in the marriage is that the husband is obligated to support his wife on the So the husband is obligated to support his wife. In lieu of that, Chazal awarded him uh, they gave him her wages if she works, or, um, or you know, her metzias, uh, you know, objects that she finds, or gifts that she receives. He is, a, you know, he has the right to to those uh, to those profits, uh, to those to those items, to those wages. But also, pirkoina tachas peros. If she has properties that she brings into the marriage, typically referred to as nichsimilug, things that she brings into the marriage, she retains those. And if the marriage will dissolve, either he'll pass away or the, end in divorce. She, you know, gets those properties back at the end. While they're married, he controls them. He receives the payers, and he is in charge of administering those properties. That's what's known as nixamilug. So he has nedunya also isn't it called nedunya? Nedunya was something that the father paid to kind of contribute to the Karen for the house. Sometimes it could be in the form of nixamilug. Sometimes it could be a gift to the couple. But nedunya could take two forms. Sometimes it could be nixamilug, but not all the time. Not all the time. But if she has a portfolio prior to marriage, or the husband, the father gives her something prior to marriage, an idunya, uh, you know, could take the form of an idunya. So then the husband would eat Paris, 
meaning he gets the profits, he has certain rights in terms of administering it, well, how, well, they, well, you know, how far those extend, again, beyond the scope right now, can he sell it, oh, all the different things, but in the end of the day, she retains the rights to the property itself, you know, to the, to, to the Karen, to the capital, and he eats the proceeds. Why? Because he obligates himself to redeem her if she'll be taken captive. Okay, so he controls the property, and he gets her mice yodayim while the two are married. You have this kind of reciprocal relationship. So much so that the Gemara asked himself, let's get in, commenting on the apostle, because he saw it to giving a get. So says the Gemara, get in. That Venus and Biyad, if he gives the get into her hand, she's divorced. How do you know if she has a chatzer? She has a property. He puts the get into her property. She's divorced as well through a Kenyan chatzer. Sigmar goes out, Venusan. However, he gives it to her, she becomes divorced. How could it be? She's kind of with the king and Chatzah. She doesn't own So she does own it. It could be Nisamiluk, but he controls it. He eats the Paris. She has no right to sell it. So since she doesn't have the right to sell it and he eats the Paris, it's for all intents and purposes considered to be his Chatzah. So says the Gemara, that's really referring to Nisamiluk. The property she brings into the marriage, those premarital assets. He controls them, and therefore it's not her chutzer, uh, you know, yeah, actively. Every time you give her a get, she's makabalit, right? So that means that it's in her rishos now, but machakana ishakana also. So it's always it's a vicious not, cycle. You never get out of it. So right. that's what the Gemara responds. Gita v'chatzer boin keachad. It all happens at once. I don't think you need a kinyan. So all of a sudden that property goes back to Of course you need a kinyan on the get for the yacht. The property goes back to You need a kinyan yacht, of course. That's, that's what Gemara asks. How does she have a yacht also? So Gemara says, Gita be yada bo'en kecha, Gita be chatzera bo'en kecha. So once he gives her the get, she accepts the get. Now suddenly it's a separation. <laughs> it happens simultaneously. Simultaneously, and that, that he, she's not really coming. How that happens is complicated. Correct, correct. It happens simultaneously. Whatever that is. It's a unique... Interesting. Yes, Gita v'chatzera boin kechad. Okay, but she he controls the properties, he controls her wages, all as part of the reciprocal relationship that exists throughout. No, this is a takanas chazal. Takanas chazal. No, no. How she get a get by chazera? Yeah, Gita v'yada boin kechad. No, but you see, it's a derisa. No. Oh, you're saying because it derives from a possible Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then what, then what, then what kind of um, whether or not this uh, controlling... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do we, no, may, no, you see from there that Kenyan Chatzar works. Gita v'yodah bo'en ka'achah is not a din de'eraisa. No, no, but, but what's the most kasha if it's not a de'eraisa again? She has her own chatzah. No, but Midorabana, they gave it to him. Even a that happens. No, the says we derive from the pasuk chatzeras kaina. Right. So okay, but now she doesn't have a chatzer. Moshe kantsi isha kana baila. Lavdaf gets a din raisa that has to be the case. And then the gemara says gita v'yadam on kachas. Oh, this is true with regards to matanas that the wife receives as well. Says the gemara mesechtas nedarim over here. Hamadir hanor mechasno. Let's say a father-in-law is mudar hanor from his son-in-law who writes a losses lebitoy mos. He wants to give his daughter her, you know. His, uh, Son-in-law's wife for present. The problem is when he acquire when she acquires it, it's going to go automatically go into his rishus. So how can he give her a gift without giving it to the son-in-law? We know in such circumstances. So what, what can he do? He can word it that He can say your husband shouldn't have control over it. You do what you want with it. So there's a machlekes over here between Rav and Shmuel. You can word a gift to exclude the husband, but it has to be worded properly. According to Rav, it's enough if he says to her, your husband shouldn't have rishus over it. You should do... Uh, but, but, I'm sorry, according to Rav, he has to say... Um, 
He has to designate it, earmark it for a specific activity. I'm giving you this in order to purchase a piece of jewelry. I'm giving you this to go on vacation. If he gives it to her stam and he says your husband shouldn't control over it, that's not enough. According to Shmuel, it's enough if he just says, you do with it as you want. Masha tirzi, Masha tirzi, asi. So then the husband doesn't take control. If it says machlok, is how the matana has to be worded. But fundamentally, it can be if it's earmarked and worded properly, the husband can be excluded from the picture. But typically speaking, if a wife receives a get, uh, a wife receives a matana, the husband does take control of it as part of this general picture of reciprocity that exists in the marriage. They're arguing about the nusuk that has to be used. Does it have to be earmarked or does he have to say, you do with it as you want, I want, this, I want you to spend it you know, so for your both, discretion. They both agree that the husband does not partake in this. No, they both agree the husband can be excluded if it's worded properly. The Machleka says how to word it. So that's why if a, husband, a father wants to give his daughter a gift and she's married, you know, if the husband is a London, <laughs> so you have, to, you have to word it properly. You have to say earmark it. Say, I give this to you. I want you to spend this. <laughs> I want you to spend this for this item. You know, for this, for this, for this specific gift. Or it could be said. No, it could be said too, but it has to be earmarked as such. If the husband gives himself, uh, gives his wife a gift, let's say the husband gives his wife a gift, so then everything might be, might be different there. Why? Because the Gemara says over there, Mesech the Ksubis, over here, Oisir, Amar Avhun Amar Rabbi, Chagwa Isha, no, where was it? Back, I have it out of order over here. Have it over order. Oh, oh, we're not, oh, fine, yeah, so the husband, oh, we're out of order, okay. So yeah, so the husband typically gets the matanas, typically gets the maizyadeh in lieu of the mezainas. Oh. But the Gemara says over here, Mesech the Ksubis, let's say the woman is not happy with that arrangement. The woman says, you know what? I make my own money. I don't need your uh, mezainas. I'd rather keep my maizyadeh. I'd rather keep my matanas. I'd rather keep, you know, my, all, all, all of my portfolio. And I'd rather control my own nixa milug. So there, the Gemara says over here, Mesech the Ksubis, Amar of Hunam Arav, Yechagah Isha Loyma Labayla, A woman has the right to say, I opt out of this arrangement and I'd rather keep my Maisi Yadayim, I'd rather keep my Nixim Ilug and exclude the husband from the picture. So, because Kitiknu Rabbana Mizaini, when the Chazal established the obligation from Mizainis, Iker Umaisi Yadeha Mishum Eva. All they did was the Iker was in order the wife should be taken care of. That was a Takonis Chazal. In lieu of that, they were Mizaka the husband in her Maisi Yadayim in order so that it shouldn't be that she's double dipping. She's getting from him and she uh, has her own portfolio. So it shouldn't be in that you know, kind of arrangement. It's going to lead to hatred. So, therefore, in order to uh, make it seem a little bit more equal, they said the husband has to support her, but she will you know, give over her Maisi Adam and her Matanas to the husband. But she can say, she can opt out of the whole thing and say, Aini Nizanis Vieni Yoise. So, the Marit has over here in the Chuva, what about a woman who earns a lot of Parnosa? Does she even have to say that if a woman says, Aini Nizanis Vieni Yoise? That's it. She opts out, whether she can walk it back. No, no, no. She can say, I don't want that. Uh, that's a clause that Chazal imposed for me. You can opt out of a clause. She opts out. In lieu of the fact that she gives over my Siyadamah. She says, I, I opt out. I opt out. It's for her benefit, not the other direction. So the Marit says, what if she doesn't say that, if she says it explicitly, that's Dina de Gemara, she can opt out. What if she doesn't say it? She just earns a big check. So says the Marit over here, They're going in and out of the halls of power. 
they're the ones who are on boats and at the ports and doing, you know, and doing export, import. They're supporting their husbands. And they have amassed a tremendous, um, uh, you know, estate. Maybe the husband has no right to everything that she's amassed. He's not giving her mezoinus. He's, a, you know, he's, a, he's being taken care of by her. He's a, she's supporting everything. So maybe, over here on the fourth line, she doesn't even have to say this because it's so obvious from the financial situation. He's practically not supporting her. How could he be Zayach and her Maisiyadayim? She, for she should control her own Nechzemilog, she should control her own, uh, you know, Maisiyadayim. Everything should be hers. So the Marit, you know, raises the issue, but then he seems to back, he seems to backpedal. He says, maybe since the woman came into the relationship being supported, even if she later becomes successful, she only, you know, did so in the framework, in the mindset of the original arrangement of the marriage. So as long as she's being supported, and then she has her children, then later on in life, she goes into business for herself, entrepreneurial, she takes some online course, and she strikes it rich, and she sells her company for X, you know, amount of dollars. She only did so based on the original framework of the marriage where she was being supported, and therefore she contributed that to that original framework and mindset, and she never intended to say, The Marit is not really sure about that. Maybe yes, maybe no. However, one second, what if that was never the case? The wife was never being supported by, by the husband. Adarabah, she's a Kailo wife. So the whole time from the beginning, she's been supporting him. So then, perhaps it's entirely different. That's what modern Pesachim today, right? Shaul Yisraeli, who's a dying for the... Based on Agado, and Eretz Yisrael was a Rosh Hashiva passed away. It was a Rosh Hashiva in America, Zarav, I believe. So uh, Shaul Yisraeli argues, based on this uh, Ramah, that if she was never Taivas Mizoinus, she never asked to be supported from the beginning of the marriage. So says the Ramah over here in the name of the Ram, in the name of the Ramban, Isha Shashoska over here, Oisid Beis, Veloy Tova Mizoinus, Vlomea Kesef, Min Hastam, Maisi Adem, Maisi Shalah, if she never asked to be supported from the very beginning. We never say she intended to give everything over to her husband. So she controls the Nixamilug, she controls the Maisi Adam. If she's been supporting him all along through Kylo, so then, then that's not the same. If he was supporting her, then she strikes her rich. Maybe you could argue we go with the original mindset and framework, but even there, the Marit's not sure. So that's what the Arach HaShulchan was citing, going back, where we, the, we were discussing, you know, what can a wife give to Tzedakah, Matana Maruba, Matana Muetes, maybe now she's in charge of the checkbook and things should be a little bit different, and credit cards, and all that. The Arach HaShulchan adds, one minute, go back to Aizvav, if the woman herself is earning a grace of Parnosa, she doesn't even have to say, it's already implied, even if we don't know whether the husband was masking, if she earns a parnasa, and it's a lot of parnasa, it's not something that's just mishtatif. It's something that's a significant portion of their financial outlook. So then, uh, you know, the whole thing could be entirely different, and maybe there she's in control of it. Certainly, if she never asked to be supported by the husband, you know, and that was the original framework of the marriage, and she's been working all along, then, you know, then she might be in control of her finances from the very beginning. But let's go, let's think about, though, let's say a woman who's not working from the very beginning of the marriage, or maybe she started working later, which is what the Marit isn't sure about, 
Many parts can assume that if she's earning enough money at some point, it's ki'ilu, she said, because she's not working. But they put the assets in both of their names. The bank account, there's a joint bank account. The properties are in both of their names. Does the husband still control it with the nichsei milug and they get the payers and all that? And he controls the bank account if the bank account is in both of their name. So there it's a little bit different. So here, here the Gemara says in Mesechus Baba Basra, over here, Oisid Gimel. If a person sells a property to his wife, then she's not kind of because maybe he was only doing it because he thought she was hiding money from him, so he wanted to see where the money's hiding. So he says, I'll sell you a property. She says, oh, good, I have your money under the bed that he was, she never brought into the marriage. So, okay, so there may be, you know, go consa. But if he gives her a matana, which is not just a ruse to perhaps, you know, cause her, you know, force her to disclose assets that perhaps she was previously concealing. Um, he gives her a matana, consa, the ain't a balo if he gives her a matana, so then, um, if he gives her a matana, so then the, the mm-hmm. wife is kaina, and he's not Ochel Paris. It's not like Nech Semilug. See, if uh, someone else gives the wife property, it becomes part of the Nech Semilug. It goes to her estate. If a father gives his wife, uh, um, a father gives his daughter a big gift, it's controlled by the husband at the end of the day. If they get divorced or, you know, he passes away, the money's going to remain with her Yarshim because it's part of her Nech Semilug. But if the husband gives her a gift, Husband gives her a gift. He's obviously <coughs> removing himself from the picture entirely. That's why he's giving her the gift in the first place, and he's giving it to her, you know, wholeheartedly. And she controls it, and it's part of her, part of uh, it becomes part of her estate, and it's not controlled by him at all. Uh, that is relevant for many gifts that husband give to uh, husband might give to his wife. It's not like Nixamiluk. He's not in charge of it. He doesn't uh, control it in the same way that he would other properties. Th- it might be that if the marriage dissolves, either he passes away, or they get divorced. It might be that, you know, the umdino might be that he only intended for her to have it as long as they're married. The Gemara says in Masechus Ksubis that if uh, when a man passes away, so the Yarshim have to pay the Alman of the Ksuba. Let's say he gave her jewelry throughout the course of the marriage. Do we deduct that from the amount of the Ksuba? She's entitled to X dollars, so many thousand dollars. He bought her, you know, jewelry to that amount while they were married. Is that considered to be as if he, you know, paid forward the Ksuba? So the Gemara says in Masechus Ksubis, Almana Shaman Masha'alea. Yes. We deduct the value of the gifts that he gave her from the value of the ksuba because, the Gemara says, he only intended for her to have it. My He gave it to her, having in mind that she should wear it and enjoy it while they're married. After the marriage, now it's deducted from the ksuba. He didn't give it to her, the jewelry and the clothing, in what order for her to have it later. What about the ring under the ksuba? So therefore, the Gemara, the, however, the Rishonim, the Rif, and it's called over here in Shulchan Aruch, say, if they get divorced and he divorces her, then it's not deducted from the value of the ksuba. He can't say, I only intended for you to have it while we were married. It remains hers after the divorce. It's a little bit of a difference between Alman and Agrusha. So it says over here, the Shulchan Aruch, over here, second line, of Agrusha, Shagir, Shabaygo, Mitaitoi, he divorces her, Ain Shamala Big Day Chol, the difference between Big Day Chol and Big Day Shab is a strange distinction, but either way, we don't deduct the value of the gifts that he gave her because, uh, you know, by saying he, we only intended for her to have it as long as they were married, it remains with her. It's interesting, the Pisgah Yishuv is a long discussion, um, unfortunately, unfortunately. This comes up, Lamaisa, if they get divorced, uh, so then a couple gets divorced, or a younger couple, who keeps the matonis that are exchanged? Now the, 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 the value of these matonis is in the stratosphere. So what happens to the matonis? So Pisgah Chuva has a machlaikas. If they're married for a long time, it seems to be the assumption is that they get to keep it, like a grusha gets to keep the matonis that she gets. If they're married for a shorter period of time where it wasn't clear whether the marriage was going to go from the beginning, and maybe they kept it going, but it really was, uh, it should, should, should never have started in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's up to the discretion of Dayanim. It's a tricky, it's a it's tricky, a tricky area in Halacha, yeah. 
So what happens to all these matanas? Some people want it back. Are they equal in value? Other than a big tomo. In the end of the day, if the husband gives his wife a gift, she owns it. It's not part of the next semilug. So it's interesting. That's what the Dazikainami Bawiatais is going back, says. That's why the husbands had to come with their wives to give the donations to the Mishkan. Because it was theirs. Don't tell me, Masha Kansa Isha Kanabaila, where'd they get this jewelry from? The husbands gave it to them. So it's theirs. So the Dazi came to said the husbands had to come with the wives. They have to give the donations to the Mishkan because the jewelry belonged to the wife. And they came to Afka this time to be Machaper for the Chet Ega where they took their jewelry without asking permission and the wives were furious about it. So Dazi came to says over here they had to come with the wives because the jewelry belonged to them. I assume. The Dazi came to me by the way, they gave it to you over here, Oisalev. I assume the reason is because the husband gave it to her. She took it from the Mishra. Yeah, the woman picked it up. So Imre Yemen says better. Imre Yemen says Gavaldik. Imre Yemen says, one minute, who's supporting who in the Midbar? It was Mun falling from the sky. So he says, that's why, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the, the wife didn't need the permission of the husband to give gifts. How could he give gifts to donations? So the Svarno says, that's why the husband came to show implicit consent. So the Imre Yemen says, no, nah, you don't need any of that. The husband wasn't supporting her. It's key she said, any needs items, any So he wasn't entitled to I see a dime in my toilet in the midbar. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So over here, let's say the husband, though, they have a state. The husband could have been entitled to my see a dime. Could have been entitled to Matanas if she's not working, she's not contributing and all that. But once you put it in there, both of their, you know, he gives her a Matana. He puts it in her name. Maybe that transfers ownership. So the, the Rajba is a fascinating chuva about a husband who put uh, assets both in his wife's name and as well as in his name. But the Rajba claims many times people do that only in order to protect the assets from being collected. So he might protect them by putting it in his wife's name if that's the case. He never intended to really give it to her. If he gives it to her, it's hers. What if he only puts it in her name to protect the assets? So says the Rajbo, the assumption is that maybe he only put it in her name to protect the assets and it doesn't really, the ownership doesn't transfer to her. There's a similar truth in the Sheiris Yosef. The Sheiris Yosef is the 1500s, the Shvagar of the Ramah. He also writes, sometimes the husband puts assets in the wife's name and he never intends to transfer ownership to the wife, in which case it might depend on what the assumption is at the time. However, this it is a classic machlekes, it's known as a machlekes between the Rajma and the Sheiris Yosef. On the other hand, the Chsam Seifer and the Marsham, who lived 200 years later, and maybe the reality changed, their assumption was if you put it in the name of the wife, the assumption is you gave it to her entirely, and she would have control of the assets uh, you know, equally, if it's in her, and if it's all in her name, she might have control of it, you know, uh, completely unilaterally. It might depend on what they have in mind. Uh, the Aruch HaShulchan writes, HaKolofiyah Inyan, Rosh Sternbach distinguishes in the Tshuvah Zvan Haggis, everyone quotes this machlaikis between the Rajbah and the Chsam Saif and Masham. Chsam Saif and Masham hold, if you put in the wife's name, she does control it. The Rajbah and the Sheiris Yosef, the Shvagah, the Ramah say, she doesn't control it, they only did it to protect the assets. So the Schoenbach distinguishes between a private home, maybe there he intends to transfer it, as opposed to a business asset. And maybe he only put it in her name, she might not even be aware of it, and he only did it to protect the assets. Interesting distinction. However, um, the Pisgei Dinim Rabonim, that's the, you know, the Psak that comes out from the, um, uh, the Batei Din in Eretz Yisrael, their assumption today is like the Marasham and like the Chsam Seifer. If you put something in the wife's name, Certainly a joint bank account, which she certainly knows about. The assumption is that they own it equally. They own it equally. So if uh, an asset is in her name, a bank account is in her name, the assumption today is that she is completely in control of it. What is one final area of interesting halacha is what about if it's not in her name, but she's a party to the marriage while the husband is accruing these assets. So in civil law, you know, in secular law, there's a, what's known as equitable distribution or equal distribution. If the marriage will dissolve, 
Um, so then, if she was part of the marriage, while he or in these says she's entitled to half of it at you know at the dissolution Depending of the marriage. State. Some states are equal. Some states are equitable. They all have something. Equitable means what's fair. Equal means completely half and half. So does that have application? Halach Lomaisa is a huge machlekes of contemporary Paiskim. Why? Because the Ramah over here has the following rule. Typically, we do follow Dina de Malchusa Dina. When it comes to areas of money that are benefiting, that are you know, beneficiary to the government, or so Takanas B'nai Medina we've discussed in the recent weeks, bankruptcy in Halacha, that if you have a creditor, a lender, and a borrower, both Jews, but everyone's assuming we're following the laws of bankruptcy. One has the right to declare bankruptcy and and you know uh, uh, receive relief from the from the loan or from the from the from the chiyuv uh, or rental agreements. Rabbi Moshe has a tshuva and Igros Moshe both about bankruptcy and rental agreements. You have a, a Jewish religious landlord, a Jewish religious tenant, and there's eviction laws and other rental laws. So they don't have the right to uh, ignore those eviction laws and rental laws. The assumption is we follow Dinu Malchusadin over here. It benefits everyone. However, the Rashbah has a tshuva that's quoted by the Ramah that if the uh, uh, father gave his wife a dowry and then she passes away, so he wants the money back. The husband yarshins his wife. The husband, he wants the money back though. And the Dina the Malchusa Dina at the time was if she dies within a certain period of time, he gets it back. So he wanted to evoke Dina the Malchusa Dina. So the Rajbah says, even though we typically follow Dina the Malchusa Dina when it comes to Dina Mominus, um, you can't say everyone had in mind we would follow the Dina the Dina like we have with regards to rental agreements or bankruptcy. Whoever's involved in this transaction knows we're following, you know, basic Dina the Malchusa Dina. We don't have a problem with that. In this area, you can't do it. Why not? You can't say this overrides the dinam of Yerusha. So that's what it sounds like from the Rajbah. The problem is the Ramah contradicts himself. There's another Ramah who discusses the following situation. I have a Yorish who's going to, you know, a guy is a Yorish who's going to inherit his properties after he passes away. He says, you know, I want you to inherit, but I don't want your Yorishim to inherit. After that, I want him to go to your brother. Do you have the right to do that? Yeah. Do you have the right to do that? So the, the Shokhanar says no. That's what's known as Yerusha Ein Lo Hefzik. You can't stop a Yerusha. Once it's going, it's going, and it follows the regular rules. Like you drop something in one of those you know, games at the video arcade, and it drops down, however it goes, it goes. However, says the Ramah in the name of the Rivosh, and this is controversial, the Shach disagrees, but says the Ramah in the name of the Rivosh, If the Dina de Malchusa allows this kind of lateral move, then we don't follow the halacha, we follow the dina de malchusa as far as the assets go to down the road. Every aspect of halacha is very complicated. So it's very complicated. It's a steer in the Ramah. When do we follow the malchusa dina and when not? So says the smile over here, there's a difference between when you articulate it. If it's just out there, that's the general rule of dina malchusa dina. We can't give up all of halacha just because one rule is out there unless it was stipulated as such. The guy stipulated, after this Yerusha you, I wanted to go to your brother then you have the right to override it. A call out tonight, is kind, so you have the right to do that. However, to just assume that when the wife dies, the father's going to get back to the dunya, that not. So if a person will stipulate in his ksuba or in a prenuptial agreement, which we should really discuss, financial prenuptials agreements, it's a whole separate discussion. So if a person will stipulate, I want the assets to be distributed not equally, or I want the assets to be distributed equally, you have the right to stipulate such a thing. But if it's just the assumption, 
then, then, you know, then maybe not. However, others draw a distinction. This is the last point. Others draw a distinction. It was Rav Wise does over here in the Mincha Sasha, but it's not his. Others have this too. That there's a difference between when people are following a minhag that is against the hashkaf of the Torah versus something that doesn't, you know, that it's not against the hashkaf of the Torah. The fact that it goes from one yerich to the next yerich is not a hashkaf, a fundamental principle of Yiddishkeit. But the fact that the husband, Shijarish, and his wife, and the Umas Ha'elam say, no, we need everything to be exactly e- egalitarian, that they viewed as something that was against the Hashkafas Hatera, that, you know, if the wife doesn't Yarshan the husband, why should the husband Yarshan the wife? And it was motivated by principles that are fundamentally against Torah, so then we don't follow Dina and Malchus Adina when it comes to that. So there's a Machlekes today between modern day Dayanim on the basis of Nagodo, in Tumen, they record this Machlekes between Rabbi Daikovsky and Rabbi Sherman. Maybe you've heard of Avram Sherman, who was big in the Geras controversy. So Avram Sherman and Daikovsky disagree. Should we follow Din and Malchus Adin when it comes to equitable distribution? Says Daikovsky, yes, it's not against the Ashkafas of the Torah. Adarabah, we say in the Ksuba, V'yishatu b'nechseyan shava b'shava, v'al yavrichu ve'alimu lozeh mizuv lozu mizeh, that they should live together. They should both control the assets equally. That is the hashkaf of Hatero, is that they should control the assets equally, and therefore equitable distribution, or equal distribution, is fits with the hashkaf of the Torah. However, Rabbi Sherman argues, no, this is against that. that in the Ksuba, in the Tanoim, we write that. We don't mean that. You cannot enforce that, which we say in the Tanoim. It means they should work together as a couple, as a partnership, but not that we don't follow the Dine Mominus that are articulated by Chazal. And it is fundamentally against the principles of Yiddishkeit to ignore the financial structure that was established by Chazal, and therefore we should not follow the din of the Malchus Adina with regards to equitable, unless it's stipulated beforehand in a kind of financial prenuptial agreement, which everyone has a right to do. If it's not stipulated to follow the din of Malchus Adina, we wouldn't, we wouldn't follow over here. However, I think one concluding point is, is valid. And Dakovsky argues, and he says, what, what you're saying, the Ashkafas HaTera is, Shali, Shali, Vishalcha, Shali, Vishalach, Shali? How could such a thing be? He says, Adarabah, the Ashkaf of the Torah is, Shali, Vishalachem, Shalohi. Oh, so he said, that's, that's a little vibe. However, I do think, whether practically or as an aspiration, it's important for couples to work together. No one should be making big expenditures without the other's permission. Whether that's something that's halachalamaisa, meant to be, you know, uh, meant to be actionable, or whether it was meant to be literal, it's certainly something that's meant as an aspiration, that couples should work together in spending their money. No one should be lord money over, over the other. Everyone should try and work together to work together as a couple in the area of finances and beyond. And here's the shame if we do that, we should be there. Okay, shalom, bye.